You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 117 of Retired Race Horse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. Brought to you in cooperation with Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. On today's show, we speak with Aaron Hallowell from Thoroughbred Charities of America to learn all about the work they do in aftercare and more. With the holidays just around the corner and New Year's resolutions swiftly coming up, we thought we'd share our top tips for making and keeping a budget when it comes to horses. Last but not least, we catch up with Winnie Morgan Nemeth from New Vocations with our training tip and adoptable horse of the week. Stay tuned. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Joy Orr in Detroit, Michigan. And this is Kristen Kovach-Bentley in Jamestown, New York, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. It's cold outside, and I hate it. Baby, it is cold outside. <laughs> it, <laughs> it sure is. It was, I, have, uh, I have my little hot chocolate here. I'm drinking a little hot chocolate as we record, so... Oh, my. Feeling festive. We're trying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna have to make one after now, but uh, it is. It was such like a warm couple last weeks of November. It was really nice. I was optimistic, and then all of a sudden, it's like bam! Break out the midweight blankets. It's cold. It's dark. Seasonal depression gave me a solid punch in the face. It really Uh, like came on strong. Yeah. Like right yeah. before Thanksgiving, all of a sudden it was like, and boom, winter. Like normally there's a little more of a slide. <laughs> yeah. There's no slide this year. We just hit a wall. No. So, at least just up here as in the unwanted north, you know? as an unsolicited DM in your Instagram messages. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. just, no. Not I am seeing some of my Florida based friends complaining because it's like 55 down there. No, thank you. So for all of our friends who are over 50 degrees and they still get sun throughout the day, like, I get it's cold for you and it's your type of cold, but I can't. I just, you know who we need to hear from on this? We need to hear from producer George because he's in Florida. George, (laughs) how cold is it down there? Is it actually cold? Uh, today was actually the first chill day of like a very long time. So he is chill. It's starting. What's chill though? Duh. Any. Careful. I don't know anything that isn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The only thing I ever really know is kind of humid and hot. So it's like anything that isn't that. I guess. Give us a temperature. What is it? Tell us what I it is. Tell us what's your chill, George. I don't know. I don't pay attention. <laughs> sure. The temperature is always the same here. All right. Well, join our show, but George's. It'll be fun. We're coming to you. It's cold up here. Yes. <laughs> Thanks yes. for having me. And that's the last time George ever showed back up on their show. Yeah, because we basically threatened him. <laughs> but yeah, listen, it is- it's been a little bit of like, you know, we've had those ups and downs. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, temperature, yes, we've had plenty of downs, but also it's been like a little bit of a of a couple of weeks for you and I in the horse world. Oh. So, you know, yes. which is fair. It happens. It's okay. It does so. happen. With up and down temperatures come up and down horse emotions. Uh I am happy to announce that Millie, who's the new thoroughbred in my training program, she was super fun. Um, She's from Kentucky. She has never had a Michigan Uh winter. Oh, no. So the first time she went outside in like 
the actual cold wind, she grunted and did not want to go through the door. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, honey. She like That's held her bad. breath. I was like, nope, I'm not for me. And I was like, I'm sorry, Mills, you're going outside. Um, oh, we just got a note from George. It's 59 degrees Fahrenheit. All right, George, get out of here. <laughs> I understand that is cold for Floridians, and that is where the sympathy ends. Yeah, but, I think uh, it was like 17 this morning with blowing snow. So the you know. field temp was like, 10 degrees. Yeah. Or um, oh, poor Millie. <laughs> yes. Millie, her, her, she's a very vocal horse and I really love it about her. And then Astrid, on the other hand, she's been having severe mood swings, like very Jekyll Hyde and it's keeping me on my toes. So mm. someday she's like cute and fun and sensitive. And then the other day we're like riding. I thought everything was fine and dandy. And she's like, you know, it'd be fun if I just started bucking. Oh, uh-oh. Uh, and she did. It was the first time I've ever fallen off her. And I really feel it's an achievement. Um, mm. So definitely fell off. And then like the last part was she felt bad after. She like came over to me and she sniffed me up and down. She's like, why are you down there? Oh, well, that's cute to at least like feign some remorse. Like, oh, yes, because I was fully prepared for her to like be like later days. <laughs> yeah. Running. Yeah, I'd expect like to see like Jobber's tail in the air, like, ha, I'm free, you know, yes. running no, away. She's just like, oh, why are you down there? I thought we were playing. Oh. Yeah, I remember I texted you and I was like, did you break your butt? And, and I was like, like yes. Maybe. <laughs> I can confirm it is not a fracture or a broken bone. You did get that covered in x-rays. Oh, uh, but I do have a bone or a bone bruise. Brone. Mm. <laughs> Those um, are like I don't, I don't, okay. I shouldn't say worse because I've had broken bones and those also suck, but like the bone bruise can take a long time. It's just so. like a forever pain and it never yeah. really goes away. It, it just yeah, it will linger forever. So congratulations. Yes. Yeah. So that's been fun to deal with. Um, yeah, well, that's too bad. But I'm back in the saddle. So, you know, like, no broken right. bones, no fractures. That's a clear to me. <laughs> yeah. Back on the horse. Yeah. You're winning. You're doing all right. Yes. So definitely some up and downs. And I know you've had some up and downs too. Yeah, yeah, we did have to let our old Irish sport draft go um, the Friday before Thanksgiving, so that was too bad. But he had had some impaction colics this year, and they were uh, they were starting to work through another one, and he has a lot of melanomas. And I was like, you know what, I don't know if I can do this to you to like try to get you through this and, you know, potentially be doing this all winter long. So, you know, when you get to choose, like, if you get the the ability to choose when to let them go. I always like mm-hmm. to do it at the end of a good summer. And he had a great summer. Um, you know, I was hoping to maybe let him have another great summer, but you know, yeah. he uh he made that decision for me, I think. So um yeah, it was a shame. But you know, he was uh he was left to me by my mentor before she passed away from cancer a couple years ago. So, you know, part of me is like, oh I'm really sad that he's gone. But then part of me is like, oh I think they're reunited now and I bet they yeah. are raising raising hell. So I think, you know, I saw him through to, he had a a really good last couple of years and, um, you know, I was honored to, you know, be entrusted with him. So, you know, it's like a happy, sad, bittersweet, you know, so we will miss him, but you know, he is. I did think it was really beautiful that like her request is his ashes were with her too. And Mm -hmm. that you were able to do that. And it's very spooky at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, that... (laughs) But yeah, they were very able beautiful. to be yep, interred together. So yeah, yeah, it was just weird timing. So 
but you know, is what it is. And sometimes life moves in weird ways. So here we are. It sure does. It sure does. But I know your herd's been adjusting and you have one with a somewhat of an injury. I mean, it's a puncture, but I feel like Shorty's being dramatic. About oh, it. Shorty always does this. Oh my gosh. When Gandalf collapsed <laughs> in the spring, Shorty was like, look what I did to my foot. That's when Shorty stabbed himself through the foot with a stick yes. um, and somehow and missed he, all his critical structures. Did and not, he did it again. <laughs> yes. He did not. He was like, oh, Gandalf. Oh, that's a shame. Look at my leg. So uh, that's doing much better though, which is good. That's good. So that's I had good. that wrapped and it's finally knock some wood. Uh, but it is now unwrapped, uh, which is also good because the wrap was not holding up well in the snow. So I was like, well, it is time. <laughs> so wow. yeah, it is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Wound care is a challenge when your horses live out in the snow uh, belt. But that could totally be snow- an episode of Hope <laughs> you <can> Share. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's what the vet tells you to do, and here's what you can actually do. Yeah. Um, my vet friends will be very unhappy about that, but it is the I reality mean, of horse same. life. So. <laughs> yeah. Here's what happens when you're, ba- I had one horse who tried to eat his bandage off his leg. Oh, that's helpful. Did you put one of those spiky wraps on it? Cause I've always, no, I didn't even know that was a thing. I was just like, well, circle of life, son. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Fortunately, Shorty left it alone, which was remarkable. He was like, it, he would, yeah, he was terrible to doctor the first day. Cause he was like my leg. And then after that, he was like, oh, okay, it's fine. So He's not the brightest bulb. So if you distract him with food, you can pretty much do anything with him. I'm just so. going to say, when you said my leg, every millennial heard the SpongeBob reference. My leg. Yeah, accurate. Yes. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, definitely lots of things going on. Jobbers and his off season, which I love the picture of him rearing in the snow. Yeah, Seems that's healthy. just that's his on season for Jobber. He's that's like on season. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually, like, speaking of the yeah, more ongoing equine health crises, I think maybe one of his lymphoma might be starting to grow back a little bit. No. So I've reached out to vets to see what's going on with that. But the good news is, is he still doesn't feel sick, judging by the amount of time he spends walking around on his hind legs. So I'm not too worried about it yet. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just walking around farm. punching a hole in the sky. I was like, okay, cool. Great. This is great. Everyone's everyone's and, a lot of fun. and Wes is just like I guess I'm the riding pony these days yeah well yeah thank goodness we have Wes because I think if it was just thoroughbreds on this place like they would have set the whole thing on fire by now so they yeah, unfortunately the Gandalf was the sensible adventure. one so yeah. yeah although yeah the thoroughbreds are starting to drag Wes down with him I caught him trying to rear the other day and I was like what is going on out there so oh my gosh well I mean I know there's an adoption special are you going to be adding a fourth next year? Oh, geez. I don't know. It's uh, We're going to get through winter and see where we're at in the spring. Yeah. I think. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I have like the pressure now too of Zach riding. And I'm like, oh, do we have to get another horse yet? And that, oh, not you know, yet. we're, we're going to get into some things about budgeting and all of that stuff. In yeah. This yeah. We have some lessons to be learned from this later on. Yes. So listen we on. Sh- <laughs> we sure do. Like, it should be a very fun episode. I'm looking forward to hearing more about TCA because I think everyone knows that they do a lot of good work in aftercare, but they do a lot more than just ensuring people get some funding. So I'm excited to hear about that. And then, like I said, we're going to give you some of our budgeting tips. Are we experts? No, but we've been doing this a long time and have some good systems of any amateur trying to make things work. So we hope you enjoy that in the show today. But before we get into all of it, we're going to hear from our premier sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. Frequently Asked Questions brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. 
I know my older horse will benefit from a joint supplement, but can it help my younger horse too? Yes, it can. The joints of young horses experience daily wear and tear that can lead to joint degeneration over time. A well-balanced joint supplement provides the building blocks necessary to support healthy cartilage and synovial fluid so horses stay sounder longer. Joint Armor is the product of choice for younger horses. It provides high levels of both glucosamine and chondroitin plus 100 milligrams of hyaluronic acid. Joint Armor is herb-free, so there is no worry about it testing in show horses. Betsy sent us the following comments after she started her five-year-old quarter horse mare on Joint Armor. My vet recommended I try Joint Armor. After 10 days, I couldn't believe the difference. She is now floating across the arena and willingly forward with impulsion and suspension. I am thrilled! She is happier too. Ears up and a soft eye. Thank you for such a great product. You can learn more about Joint Armor at kppusa.com. Got questions about your feeding program? We can help. Email Karen at questions at kppusa.com or call us at 859-873-2974. Well, Joy, in the season of gratitude and the season of giving, we're really excited to have with us today Aaron Hallowell, who's the executive director of Thoroughbred Charities of America, which we often see shortened just to TCA. Um, so if you see anything about TCA on social media, that's what we're referring to, Thoroughbred Charities of America. Um, and they do a ton of good work, not only for Thoroughbred Aftercare, but for all sorts of other organizations in the Thoroughbred industry. So we're really excited to have Aaron with us today to learn more about what TCA does. Aaron, welcome to Retired Racehorse Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is really cool because we've just somehow have never really sat down to talk about what TCA does. And the scope of your work is so wide reaching through the thoroughbred industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about like how TCA works and then like what areas that you're working in? Yeah, of course. So TCA, we were, I'll maybe start, go back to the beginning. I'll start at the beginning. We were um, founded uh, almost 34 years ago now in Middletown, Delaware by um, some thoroughbred industry owners, um, Herb and Ellen Molis, as well as the late Alaire DuPont. And, um, you know, they saw a need in the thoroughbred industry for uh, a model that would provide for uh, thoroughbreds for upon their retirement. And they got together in uh, Herb and Ellen's living room at their home in Middletown, Delaware, and had a essentially a dinner party. You know, it was an art auction. They had some some auction items, things like that, and uh, just raised money for for thoroughbred retirement. And this was you know back in 1990. So the landscape of of thoroughbred retirement um, was very different back then. Aftercare was not even in our lexicon at that point. But they raised at that very first event. They raised fifteen thousand dollars and they donated it to the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Um, and then kind of year over year, that event grew and grew and grew. And eventually, the the trio of TCA's founders decided, you know, we're on to something here. We uh, need to kind of pull this together into a nonprofit organization and, you know, kind of formalize the process. And, and they did that. And, you know, here we are today, like I said, almost 34 years later, and we're granting out funds to uh, over 75 charities across the country. So essentially that model that was created back in 1990, where we raise funds 
and we distribute them, those funds to approved charities across the country, um, is something that we still hold true today. Um, our mission statement is to fund and facilitate the support of thoroughbreds and the people who care for them. So we accomp- accomplish that mission by providing grants to approved charities ac- across the country through our pretty rigorous grant application process. So that's how we, how we started back in the day. I love that. I love that it was like a bunch of folks who just got together to be like, let's do something cool and make a difference. Like, I yeah. think that's how all yeah. good ideas get started. Yeah. 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 That sounds yeah, much cooler. Sure. You know, we we joke like the RRP, oh, it started in Stuart Pittman's basement, but it's like, oh, okay. Like yours started in a living room and it was much more legit right. <laughs> with a nice dinner party and an auction. <laughs> that's great. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. But it's, it's great. It's, and, and I feel like that um, sort of, wanting to jump in and help um, sentiment that our founders had um, is still very much true in our organization today. You know, we have a a very active board of of 17 board members made up of various thoroughbred industry professionals. Our president is Mike McMahon, who just dedicates so much of his time and energy to TCA. And that, that sentiment of, you know, let's just do the right thing. We need to, here's, here's the issue. Let's work to, um, provide solutions to that issue that that still kind of resonates, you know, amongst our board members today. So I, I think that's another really cool thing about TCA that's kind of carried over throughout the years. Yeah, well, and that should be the goal of any nonprofit, right? Is like, what is the problem? Yeah. How can we make it better? Exactly. So like in a similar vein, you know, as we're clicking around on your website, I'm seeing the Horses First Fund. And that I think is a pretty cool program. That's like a direct response to needs. So what is that part of your program? How does that work? Yeah. So um, going back to 2016, we were notified of a um, large scale equine abandonment case in Kentucky. And, you know, at that time, TCA, we, we were kind of, um, you know, our, our primary focus is grant making. That's, that's our bread and butter. That's what we do throughout the year is provide grants to, our approved charities, you know, last year we granted over $821,000 to 75 approved charities across the country. And that's, you know, typically that that's our, our main program. But in 2016, we were alerted to this um, situation and, you know, we had a small um, emergency fund for emergency granting, but, you know, nothing really significant to make a huge impact. Um, and one of our board members, uh, at the time was Jamie Roth, who's the co-founder of L&J Foxwoods, one of the, the very successful racing stables in thoroughbred racing. And she said, you know, we we really want to make an impact here to try to help this this large-scale equine abandonment case. She said, you know, what, what can we do? Um, and out of that conversation, the TCA board founded of course, with a contribution from from Jamie and Ellen J. Foxwoods, the Horses First Fund. And it has become more or less kind of like the Red Cross in the thoroughbred industry. Um, it's mm-hmm. an emergency fund for thoroughbreds and their caretakers that are in need of emergency aid due to large-scale neglect cases, catastrophe, natural disaster, um, things like that. Kind of really, we're not, we're not talking just kind of one-off, you know, situations. Um, these are, are large-scale situations where, um, you know, usually there's emergency personnel involved or in equine neglect cases, the sheriff's office or 
you know, the, the county, whomever. So we kind of assist in, in those situations. So the, in 2016, with that uh, abandonment case in Kentucky, that was the first time the Horses First Fund was actually um, kind of activated. Um, and we provided, I believe it was close to 25000 in support for that case. And then since then, we've used the, the fund a few times. I, I, I like to know that it's there, but I really don't like to use it because if we have to use it, that means bad things are happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, right, right. Um, but the next the next use of the fund was in, oh gosh, what was that, 2017 or 18, Hurricane Maria in uh, Puerto Rico. And if you remember, there were, it was pretty prolific all over the news. There were about a thousand thoroughbreds that were there at the racetrack, at Camarero Racetrack, when Hurricane Maria um, hit and just caused all sorts of damage. And, um, you know, it was tough to get food, um, any, you know, hay or grain into the horses there. And anyway, we, with many other partners, including the Jockey Club and the AAEP, um, the Humane Society, Brookledge, our group, we were able to get um, <laughs> more or less uh, find a plane because planes were at a premium at that time during the <laughs> hurricane because they were all they were all shipping in emergency aid for people, which of course is you know obviously super important as well. But through some board member connections, we were able to find a plane that could deliver supplies um, into Puerto Rico. So we were very very grateful to be able to. Um, you know, do that and, and having the Horses First Fund there as uh, our resource, you know, really helped us accomplish that goal. So, yeah, Horses First Fund was invaluable during Hurricane Maria. We also provided funding um, to provide some support during the when the wildfires um, kind of spread across San Luis Rey Downs in California several years ago. Um, we were able to help horsemen as well as some of the horses there. So yeah, the the fun the the horses first fund has just been a really great resource. You know, like I said, kind of almost like a red cross for our industry in a way. Yeah, which is awesome because I don't think there is you know another, especially like specific to thoroughbreds. I don't think there is any other organization doing something like that. So yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, like you said, you hate to see it go to use, but you're happy that it's there. That it's there sure. exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And awesome. to date, to date, I actually just looked at this the other day. To date, we, the Horses First Fund has granted about 350000 um, in emergency aid. And, you know, some of these are, some of these situations are more mainstream, like Hurricane Maria or San Luis Ray Downs. But there was also um, just this year, we activated the fund um, in support of a equine neglect or equine welfare case in Shenandoah County, Virginia. Um, where there were some close to 50 thoroughbreds on a farm um, that needed, you know, placement, emergency placement. So we, you know, were able to assist three organizations in taking taking those horses. So you know, it's it's some of the some of the activations of the fund are smaller in scale or, or less public, I guess, in scale. Um, you know, but then certainly you have things like Hurricane Maria that are just catastrophic. And what I like, you know, as you're talking and and telling these stories is that it, it's a lot of networking and working with other organizations. You know, you're not out there like trying to fight the fight alone, you know, like you're assisting other organizations and providing funding to help other organizations and working alongside. And I think that's really key. Like no one is out here alone and no one's going to be mm-hmm. successful trying to do this by themselves. So I think this is awesome, right. you know, to see like funding and networking at the same time, you know, because we've all got to work together to fight all of these various issues, you know, whether it's a natural disaster or just, you know, better aftercare. So 
That's awesome. Right. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think that, you know, kind of speaks to the overall mission of our organization, um, you know, because even when we make our annual grants to our, you know, 75 charities, you know, it's it's definitely a spirit of um, collaboration and, hey, we're here to help you. We want to, you know, we recognize you're doing a great job. We want to provide you this grant so you can do you can do more and help more horses or help more people. So, yeah, we, we definitely um, like to take that approach. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I would imagine too that that helps, you know, with like donors and fundraisers to know that like rather than, you know, and I'm, there's many ways that this model works, right? Like people have a relationship with one particular organization, so they're going to give money to that organization. But on the other hand, if they're not sure, you know, maybe where to donate money, you know, to help thoroughbred aftercare, like a donation to TCA is going to help multiple organizations and multiple scenarios, you know, so that's, I that's think, right. one way to do a lot of good. So. Yeah, um, that's right. And that's, you know, one of our taglines is one helping many. So <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. right to it. Yes. Yep. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, you're a major supporter of the thoroughbred makeover for which, you know, of course, we're extremely grateful at the RRP, you know, and you guys have been with us there since the beginning. So, um, so yeah, that's sure. another way that you guys and, you know, the RRP itself is helping many organizations and many individuals with, you know, finding an outlet for horses. So that's like a doing a lot of good on many different levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of trickle down, definitely yeah. a lot of trickle down. Um, and, you know, that's something that TCAs, I think our model is is kind of unique in that, that we support not only the traditional aftercare organizations, you know, that are rehabbing, retraining and rehoming, um, but also those more, um, I guess, incentive-based organizations, mm-hmm. you know, like RRP that are creating a demand and creating a market for thoroughbreds um, to move into so those, those they can move through those aftercare organizations. Um, in addition to RRP, you know we support the Thoroughbred Incentive Program. Tip Tip just does a, a wonderful job um, incentivizing equine enthusiasts to choose a thoroughbred as their next mount, and that's that's something we we all want. And as well as Take Two, you know Take Two is one of our grant right. recipients, and um, you know they're doing a great job account- accomplishing the same goal. So uh, yeah, we we certainly kind of like to see that the we look at aftercare kind of holistically and, you know, see both sides of that on the aftercare side. But then of course we, we also support the human side of the thoroughbred racing industry as well. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because I noticed a lot of racetrack chaplaincy programs and I'm not familiar with what those programs are or what they do, but I saw mm-hmm. them, you know, on your grant recipient list. So I wanted to yeah, ask about that. I was curious about that as well, Kristen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So another thing that makes TCA unique is that in addition to supporting the horse side of our industry, so that, you know, the the thoroughbreds in our industry, our grants also are provided to organizations, approved organizations that are helping the people side of our industry, because we all know that the backstretch workers, the farm workers, you know, those those folks are the backbone of our industry. They, They work so hard day in, day out, caring for our horses. You know, horses don't know it's Christmas, so they're out there, (laughs) uh, you know, 365 days a year. Um, And often they have limited access to to resources that, you know, know, maybe you or I might might have more access to, like healthcare or childcare. So our our grant recipients are um, on, on the human side. I think this year we granted to about 20 organizations um, on the human side, and about I want to say five or six of those organizations are considered uh, racetrack chaplaincy organizations. 
So racetrack chaplaincies, of course, are, are faith-based. Um, and there's um, a, a national racetrack chaplaincy of America that is one of our grant recipients. And then kind of under their umbrella, there are racetrack chaplaincies at individual racetracks. Or, you know, sometimes if a racetrack is seasonal, a chaplain may uh, spend some time at one racetrack during the racing season, but then move to another track for another season there. Um, you know, kind of not not every track has one dedicated chaplain. You know, tracks might share chaplains or, or whatnot. But the racetrack chaplaincy organizations are are such a great resource on track for backstretch workers. Um, they provide essentially for all of the spiritual, emotional, physical, social, educational needs of backstretch workers. That's that's one of their goals. And they do that through, uh, of course, you know, worship services and that sort of thing on the on the faith-based side. But, um, you know, they also provide food and clothing banks, uh, recreational activities. They can, the chaplaincies often refer, provide referrals for healthcare services, legal services, uh, financial services, They'll do, some of them do um, ESL classes, so, uh, you know, learning English as a second language. Um, They can help with transportation needs. There's just a whole spectrum of needs that backstretch workers may have that, you know, again, might be easy for you and I to meet, but not necessarily when you're working on the backstretch of a racetrack. So, you know, yes, the the chaplaincies are super important to the community uh, of racetracks and and, and the backside of racetracks. Um, But we do also, in addition to the chaplaincies, um, about 15 or so of our, excuse me, of our other uh, backstretch charities this year um, aren't necessarily faith-based, but they do provide, you know, similar services. And some even, some of our um, backstretch uh, organizations like the Belmont Best, Best at uh, Belmont Park, and the California Thoroughbred Horsemen's Foundation or the Racing Industry Charitable Foundation in Illinois, they actually have on-site medical clinics just for backstretch workers. So, you know, if you, if you need any medical services, you just go right on-site to the clinic. Um, some of them even provide dental services. Any more advanced medical services are usually referrals, you know, outside of the, the on-site medical clinic. Uh, but these are really, really important resources for backstretch workers that, you know, TCA is, is honored to be able to fund. Uh, because, again, access for healthcare or dental care, you know, might be easy for, for you and I, but not necessarily for uh, backstretch workers when you're, you know, working at a track, Um 365 days a year, you know, like, like no, I said, no. horses uh, don't, don't know about uh, holidays. Another thing is childcare. One of our grant recipients in uh, New York is called the Belmont Child Care Association, and they provide on-site child care 365 days a year. Oh, they're open wow. holidays um, to children of backstretch workers. Because, you know, when you're, think about it, if you're going, you know, you got to be at the barn at 4.30 in the morning, um, not many childcare facilities are open that early. So, yeah, seriously. Wow. Um, ag- again, it's just kind of, yeah, just kind of another sort of um, facet of the thoroughbred industry that makes our workforce really unique and may need some of these uh, additional uh, resources that, you know, aren't, aren't available outside of the racetrack. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting community in the backstretch and we, we, do our best to recognize um, some of the incredible organizations that are working to meet some of the needs of our backstretch and farm workers. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys are, you know, championing that because that is like 
I don't want to call them an invisible population, but it's just sort of like an overlooked, you know, like when you go to the races, you don't really think that much about that like backbone population of people working to take care of these horses. And yeah, like you said, all hours of the day, all days of the year, you know, like this industry would not survive without those people. So yeah, having an organization like yours to help fund those programs, that's amazing. I didn't know they offered that many services, but that's, uh, that's they fabulous. Yeah. yeah, they're absolutely incredible. You know, we have some some great partners some great grant recipients out there that, you know, yes, TCA is, we, we, we work hard at TCA, but, you know, the, these folks are on, on the front lines and, and not only just the, the people charities, but the aftercare organizations as well, you know, on the front lines, you know, getting, getting things done, really uh, making that impact. And um, like I said, you know, we, I, I wish we had more money to go around because um, it's just when, whenever we're able to grant to our approved organizations, we know it's money well spent. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like I know a lot of people are obviously we need to take care of the equine athletes, but I think also taking care of the human population that's taking care of those equine athletes is also key. So yeah, mm-hmm. it is. That's it awesome. is. Yeah. And we've, we've partnered with Godolphin to try to, to make access to some of the the services that our grant recipients offer um, to try to make that access even uh, more accessible, I guess. <laughs> but we created an app uh, a few years ago. This is probably going back, oh, maybe we started the conversation five or six years ago. It's, the app is called Como. It's a mobile app available on your iPhone or your Android device. E-O-M-O, it means uh, span- uh, in Spanish, how. Um, but essentially, it's uh, an app um, designed for the human side of what we do. Um, and it aims to connect backstretching farm workers with the health and human service resources that they may need. So, you know, let's say you're a backstretch worker and you're on the circuit, you're working at Belmont Park, you know, okay, hey, I've got a, I've got a toothache, I need to do something about this. You could jump on Como um, and see what resources are available through our, our grant recipients um, in that area. And, you know, you could go and, and have get a referral to a dentist or, you know, whatever you might need through working, you know, through the app initially, but then through the grant recipient organization. Um, but then let's say you're going, you know, you're, you're wintering at Gulfstream Park um, and you have another need for, uh, I don't know, an attorney or something. You could go um, into, uh, it's all broken out by state. You could go into, you know, the state of Florida, figure out um, where you are geographically and see if there's uh, an organization there that can also help meet your needs. So Como is free. It's it's a great resource. Uh, we've worked through a lot of the racetrack chaplaincies to populate the sort of service side of the app. Um, and then, you know, through the chaplaincies again, you know, having the backstretch workers go and, and look um, at the app and download it and follow it. Um, yeah, another another resource that we are happy to offer and, you know, can't thank Good Dolphin enough for their their partnership on that. Um, but again, trying to to support the people side of our industry is is the goal with this app. I love that. Yeah. So you guys are, you know, helping horses, helping people, helping the people who help horses like you really are. You're doing it all. That's awesome. <laughs> we try. We try. We're lean and mean. <laughs> So Erin, where can people go to learn more about TCA and, you know, the grant program and, you know, how you're supporting so many aspects of the thoroughbred sure. industry? Sure. Our website is tca.org. Um, so you can find most of our info there. And then of course, we're on all the socials, Facebook, 
Twitter, sorry, X, I guess it is now. I, I can't, I can't drop <laughs> I'm with I can't you. Drop I don't know. Twitter. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a hard one. <laughs> um, as well as Insta. So, um, yeah, we usually, you know, we, we post there uh, about upcoming events and, and things going on. Um, and of course, one of our, our biggest events of the year is, is quickly approaching and that's our stallion season auction. Nice. All right. So anyone, if you are shopping for a stallion season, that is the place to go because not only will you get what you're looking for, but you'll also benefit TCA at the same time. Erin, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really cool. Um, hopefully people are inspired going into the season of giving to maybe think about TCA a little bit more. Um, and we can't wait to see what you guys do next. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I'm here with Tony from Cashel. You all know it from the ads you hear all the time on this show. But I, we're at the trade show, and this is the p- point of time in the year where we find out what's new coming out. So what's Cashel have new coming out? Oh, we've got a, a great lineup of uh, 32, 34 wool top pads. So t- describe them. Uh, five different colors, real vibrant, bright, sharp-looking pads. What, are the, what makes them different? Uh, well, it's the fill. The, the, the wool felt on the inside is a natural felt, and the fleece on the bottom is a 100% merino. Oh, really? Okay. So these are soft and squishy pads. Well, not real squishy, but soft, and, and they do absorb shock and, and saddle fit. What would they retail for? What are those? That's you about know? 119 That's the right price. Yeah. Anything else new with Cashel coming out? Oh, we've got uh, more saddle pads coming in the fall, a new strap line coming in the fall. It's a a two-tone that looks great with a a great buckle set on it. We're always in development, so there's so many things, projects in the works. What's still your most popular product? Is it still always the same things year after year? Uh, fly. You got yeah. fly, fly that's protection what we all, what's, is always That's it. how I knew you in the first place was fly. Fly masks. Yep. Yeah. Many years ago, uh, we were primarily fly masks and kind of had some tush cushions and a few odds and ends. Today, we've broadened that offering to saddlebags, uh, strap, head stalls, breast collars, bell boots, um, leg protection, and the, it continues to grow. Is there a place where somebody can go and see all the products? Uh, Cashelcompany.com will give you a good offering. There you go. Well, thank you, Tony. It's been fun seeing you again. Hey, thank you. Good to see you. So, Joy, this is a little bit of a departure for us because normally we have guests on. um, And you and I were sort of tossing these ideas back and forth. And I was like, you know what I really want to do? I would love to talk about, because I think the timing is perfect. You know, we're getting to the end of the year. We're going to be starting to think about New Year's resolutions and like, you know, starting off the new year on a clean slate. And I thought, what if we did a section on budgeting? Because I Mm -hmm. am like one of those people who I really like to listen to like personal finance podcasts. And I realized that like nobody is talking about this for equestrians. You can find like a million blogs that are like, here's how to bargain shop for saddle pads. And like, here's how to, you know, score savings on this and that. But that's not the same as like really budgeting and working towards financial goals while also having horses. So for those of us who are like adult amateurs or non-pros, uh, this is key because we're not making our living with horses. We're just choosing to spend all of our money on these giant luxury pets. So um, you and I, I think, are fairly savvy as far as like adult amateurs who budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just thought we would do this segment ourselves. So um, definitely 
We would love to know what you guys think about this. You know, if this is a subject that you're interested in, please let us know. If you don't want to hear more from me and Joy and you just want us to go back to guests, also let us know. We're not yeah. planning on doing a lot of this like where we just talk yeah. at you for 20 this minutes. Is just this is just an idea we had as we're approaching the holidays and those New Year's resolutions. And also, New Vocations is doing their half-off special during December for adoption fees. So if you're trying to budget a new horse into your life... This could also be a valuable segment for you. Yes. And me, our enablers. (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah, just something a little bit different. Um, And then, you know, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled guest format next episode. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. let's just kick it off. So, Joy, why is, like, making a budget and sticking to a budget important to you in your horse life? Um, Because horses don't make me money. Believe it or not, we do not get rich from this podcast. I don't get rich from teaching lessons. And if I don't have money, I don't get to have the horse or a place to live. So I'm not the wealthiest person in the world for sure. But having a budget helps me able to like live, go towards those goals that I'm looking for and like maintain a certain quality of life that I like to have while also have my horses. What about for you? Yeah, kind of the same. Like (laughs) when I was little, my mom... I don't know if my mom listens to this. Hi, mom. If you do, uh, she told me, and I, I'm sure I'm remembering this memory out of context, but she was like, if you want to have horses in your life, you have to marry a doctor or a lawyer. And like, why didn't she tell me to become a doctor or a lawyer? I'll never know. But regardless, uh, I ended up marrying a lawyer. Um, he works for the county. So he's not like, you know, a big hotshot rich lawyer. I think people hear like, oh, your husband's an attorney and they assume he makes like a ton of money. Well, he's actually mm-hmm. a public servant, so he doesn't. Um, and I work for a nonprofit and I am very lucky to have a great job at a nonprofit, but those are also notoriously not super high paying jobs. And yet somehow mm-hmm. we are keeping multiple horses and still able to show actively um, and we would not be able to do that if we were not like sticking to a pretty narrow set of rules mm-hmm. for how we choose to spend our money. I think we would probably be in trouble <laughs> without a budget to stick to. So, and I don't know why I nerd out so much about this, but like if I can help other people to get to the point where they're comfortable, like I, I'm really happy about that. So, like I caught my fairy the other day, like because she was like a captive audience, like stuck mm-hmm. underneath my horse trimming his foot. And I was like, do you have a Roth IRA? You know, and like lectured her about that for a while. <laughs> so like, I am that like annoying. In a past life, you were a CPA. I think I may have been. <laughs> so. Oh dear. Yeah. Like I'm not, yeah, I can't tell you why, but I just know that like, I have so much more security and like feel so much more yeah. comfortable, like spending money. If I know that I can spend it, you know, rather than 100%. like, oh, I'm going to buy this horse and I'll figure it out later. Like that is not a place I want to no. be. And life. you know what? My parents, did that. And so I witnessed it firsthand growing up where my parents had like this big horse business dream and components of it came into place, but like they kind of did it backwards where they didn't really think about getting the facilities in a good working spot and like setting up their budgets effectively to ensure that they're at least breaking even. So instead they invested in a ton of horses, then bred those horses and had all these baby horses. And then boom, the recession oh happened. Oh, and no. then my dad's like, <laughs> Sorry, I retired the year before to focus on the stream. So then we became a single, like actual single income family during the recession. And we had 15 horses. Wow. So I had watched my parents like kind of lose their pipe dream from poor budget planning. And that kind of instilled in me. I'm like, okay, if I want to do this, I can't make the same mistakes as they did. That was before all the inflation things too. So there's a lot that I've been learning over the years. And I think we have this cool perspective too, because you keep your horses kind of at home and I'm bored, which like then you're at the discretion of 
what the barn decides to do. So I think we, between the two of us, we can cover a lot of ground and just easy tips for anyone who's thinking, or at least should start conversations. Always encourage going to professional if you have like very serious financial goals to sit down with someone, but to at least get you started or start thinking about those questions for yourself. I think this will be a fun segment. Yeah. And yeah, I meant to preface with this. We are not, obviously, we are not financial professionals. So you should not take this as yeah, financial advice. It's a lived and learned experience. Yeah, this is like, this is just our experience that we're tossing around for you all. Yeah. So, all right. So I think the number one place to start is a budget. So like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you start with a budget? Like the first year that you did up a budget for your household, like how did yeah. you do it? How did you start? So I think I started the way a lot of people start, which is like, you just look at what your monthly income is and you break it up and you're like, how can I at least make sure I'm not going in the red each month? Um, as I've gotten older, I've realized I need to have long-term and short-term goals. Like I have some goals to get out of my student loan debt. I have goals to deal with, you know, make sure my credit cards never get crazy. Those types of things. I had to buy a car last year. So thinking through those types of things of when do I want to pay that off and what needs to go towards that first has been really helpful. Obviously, I live with someone. So having two incomes is really helpful. So we've worked together and had really open conversation of who can carry what. It's not always evenly split, but he doesn't have the same financial goals as I do necessarily, or I should say financial burdens, not goals. So we're able to have that open communication together. And then after we figure out like what those goals are and how much money needs to go aside to hit those goals, I then subtract that from the income that's actually coming in. And I see what my real budget is each month. So that's kind of my tip going along the way is what are you trying to hit in your one, three, and five-year goals minimally if you want to do 10 plus? Highly recommend working with a financial professional, but to at least get you started. And then separating from that, now you have this retainer to start pulling from for your monthly. And sometimes there are sacrifices that come with that for sure. I might not show or I might not have lessons because I'm saving up for Christmas gifts or a big trip, but that's okay. How about for you? What's your process? Yeah, it's similar, but a little bit different. So like I have um, sort of a monthly worksheet template. I keep all of this on a Google Sheets so that Eric can also look at it. And to be mm. honest, I don't think he does. I think he's just like, you're better at this. I trust you. Like, go to town. We've also been married for like eight years. So like, <laughs> we're at that point where Eric's like, you got the finances. We're fine. So that like, I understand that doesn't work for everyone. And, you know, everyone's situation is a little bit different. But at this point, we've been together long enough that he's turned me loose. So Um, I have this monthly template and I, you know, just start a new sheet for every month and I list out like all of our known expenses. So like the mortgage is due early in the month. The cell phone is due early in the month. I have some supplements on auto ship. So when I say like monthly expenses, like everything I know that is coming goes on this Mm -hmm. list. Um, The internet is always due the same month. The Eric student loans are due the same month. Mine are paid off at this point, which is great. Um, Eric is still paying off those law school loans for a while. And then we have a separate section for utilities and bills that we know are coming. So that includes our electric, gas, trash removal, and then the tab that we keep at the farm stand, which is the the family business. So we try to get as many of our groceries there as possible, and then we just pay a monthly tab off. Then we have an additional expenses, which is typically the farrier about every six weeks, um, odds and ends, horse expenses. Mm-hmm. Usually it's horse expenses. <laughs> and then, you know, I have that parceled out from which bank account it's coming from. So I know mm-hmm. at a glance what money's going out every month. 
Um, so it's probably quite similar to yours and then I know what's left over to work with. Um, in 2024, I'm trying a slightly different approach where mm-hmm. um, we are putting like across the board 62% of our post-tax income is going into the needs account, which is covering all of those expenses. 30%, we're going to try to stick to that, is going to various savings accounts, including retirements. And then 8% is going into a wants account. So we're going to have that spending money actually set aside, uh, which we don't currently. We just sort of juggle that out of the same account. That's so smart. I need to have you do my budgets, (laughs) I will say I have that in a high yield savings account too. So that like, it's going to have like the monthly, well, it's every pay period, a chunk is going to go in there. And then Mm -hmm. it takes it, I think 24 hours to come out of that account. So if you want something, you have to really want it because you're going to have to think about it for a day or two. So so that's going to keep us like, really like, "Mm, do we want this? Like, do we actually want this? Super smart. um, Super smart. Yeah. So that's just a tip. It's like, you know, some people like put cash in the freezer, so they have to wait for it to thaw out. It's kind of the same concept, but it's done electronically. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely tried the cash envelopes at one point, and then it's really difficult in this day and age to like constantly be going to get cash. So I'm like, not for me, but I love the idea of using a high yield savings account. Um, for your once fund. Because if you're not using it, like if it's just a month where you're not going out to spend a ton, it's going to at least make money for yeah, you. It's going to sit sitting. there and accrue some interest. Yeah. So then yeah. Yeah, you're going to be making out better because cash sitting in accounts right now with inflation is actually losing money. So, you know, the more you can put things into high yield or better, you know, other accounts, for sure. the better. So I will say we do have a couple of, um, you know, because there's no limit to how many savings accounts you can have. So we have mm-hmm. With our bank, we have one savings account for the home. So that's going to cover our school tax, our property tax, and then ongoing maintenance. And then we have another account set up for all of our pets. So that's the three horses, two cats, three dogs. So they get a monthly allowance. And that's not to spend on like, you know, pet coats, but that's to, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. like for their feed, farrier, vet. Um, we have yeah. a very accident prone dog who makes the thoroughbreds look extremely scary. oh my gosh i know we talk i yeah. feel like oh, we yeah. did talk about this at like full end where our dogs are actually more of a risk than the horses like i calculated yeah, toba's vet bills from last year and she was significantly more expensive than my horse the horse is a cockroach and god bless her for it but this dog <laughs> this yeah. dog though <laughs> yeah i mean this was in a year in which like jobber went to osu for two nights for cancer surgery and somehow i think we still spent more on the dog so yeah. like yeah which listen to our pet insurance or <laughs> well, horse insurance yeah, go episode. back to the last episode yeah. highly recommend um i did put dog insurance on tova and i'm so grateful it is worth the monthly expense versus all the other bills that yeah. i paid so But that money automatically comes out as well. So every pay Mm -hmm. period, we are putting a deposit into that pet savings account. And I will say that has been the biggest peace of mind, like single part of this budgeting process for me is knowing that the pets have a little nest egg. Um, I don't tell them this. (laughs) No, don't tell them. Um, But like, I know that like, if, you know, as I mentioned before, maybe one of Jabber's lymphomas might be starting to grow again. So if he needs to go to OSU again, like I have money already set aside for that. I don't need to worry about where I'm going to find that money from. I don't need to, you know, worry about using credit. Like that money is there. So Mm -hmm. his next surgery, should it, you know, need to happen is paid for. I have it. Like we're good. So, um, so that to me is like, hugely important. So, and and they've been sort of building up a little bit of a nest egg because of course their expenses kind of fluctuate month by month. I mean, you know, the yeah. feed and the farrier and all that is the same, but you know, vet bills and emergencies and stuff. Like I 
I've padded that budget for those emergencies. So if you can afford to do that every month, that will buy you so much peace of mind. Yeah. You know, and especially I, I for like again, bulk things. Yeah. Like if you need to buy hay, like I buy all my hay at once. So yeah. I have that, you know. And I will stress again, like Kristen and I aren't making bank in our jobs. Like we have, I, I'm assuming Kristen, but I'm like, I feel like we have pretty average incomes. And so and we both live rural. So like our cost of living is a little lower than some. You know, See, I like, don't. I live in a oh, metro area. Oh, yeah, that's right. So your cost of living is probably considerably higher than mine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, it's actually why we decided to buy a house and not rent because rent is actually more expensive than mortgage, even though you have, you know, the cost of house with taxes and everything too, but it still came under rent because of just where we live. Um, and that also affects board too. So when budgeting with my horse, I have to keep board in mind. And I always put a contingency for the next year that board's probably going to go up a certain percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm luckily at a space that tries really hard to be cost effective um, and be equitable for the community around them, which really is nice. But we also understand they're not doing this for free. And if you ever take the time to look up different articles, most boarding barns are just trying to make even they're not getting rich off it either. Um, so with inflation, with cost of feed going up, hay going up, all that stuff, I do try to keep in mind like board's probably gonna go up at least like 10% each year. And if it doesn't, that's great. I still anticipate it and I keep it in that budget. And if it's extra money, it's extra money. Right. Yeah. And that's smart, you know, and when you are sitting you know, sitting here at the end of November, early December, mapping that out, like now is the time to plan on those exactly. changes. So, exactly. yeah. So, you know, in that regard, like, what do you choose to like, what do you prioritize in your horse spending? And what do you, mm. what's like way bottom of the list for horse spending for you? So again, I'm very goal oriented in my decision-making and I go by quarter. So like winter is a much more slow pace. I actually don't spend a lot of money on winter on my horses. Um, So for this winter, I'm spending money on my lessons um, and increasing my lesson pace. I was going to like bi-weekly and now I'm going to go to weekly. Um, And if I can fit it in as a gift to myself, um, doing a couple extra training rides for my horse in preparation of show season, just to you know clean up some things that I've been struggling with and get her some extra ride time since I do work full time. Um, so that's something I'm aiming at for winter. But when we get closer to show season, it's typically budgeting for those shows. And we know they're not cheap. I mean, it can easily be a, a two, $300 weekend pretty quick. Um, so I like to put that money away slowly over winter so that it's sitting in the account um, by the time we get there. So it's just prioritizing the needs. It's very difficult sometimes because I see a lot of cute stuff pop up in my Instagram. Um, lots of fun, different outfit styles. We all see the matchy-matchy saddle pads that happen in the English world. But I feel like Western is really getting into that too. Um, Gosh, yeah. All the technology of new bits, new saddles, new everything, like we're flooded with it. And I do do kind of a treat myself fun, but I, if I'm going to spend the money, I've always said like, I have to obtain something first. Like it has to be a reward for me to do it. So sometimes it is making my financial goals for that month. And I like, okay, I'm going to go buy myself like a huge sun, sun shirt from like novella or something like that. Or if it is more into like the education thing, like equestrian masterclass, that's a pretty big expense coming up. 
I really like weigh the pros and cons of like, okay, how much time am I actually going to spend watching this? If I break it down per day, what's the cost? Like, and I have to be disciplined to make it worth it if it's like a bigger expense like that. So it's, I like to look at it. It's like, what's the use of it to me? And what am I going to take away from it? That like is the value at the end of the day. Genius. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy, right? To be like, oh, you know, you, you know, you're hit with all that advertising. And yes. I was definitely in that phase at one point where I was like, smart pack everything. And like, oh, I know. It's like, how many blue saddle pads do you know. I actually need? Like, I don't need multiple shades of blue. My horse doesn't know the difference. Like, let's be real. Um, and those are the questions I ask myself. Like, do I really, do I actually need this? And I try to like wear through a lot of my things, including my personal items that are non-horsey. Like I still have a lot of old t-shirts from college and stuff. Like those are my barn clothes now. <laughs> yeah. No shame yeah. on it. Like, and I, yeah, I do dress a little bit like a hobo. And then when we get new stuff, I try to invest in like really good quality stuff mm-hmm. that's going to last. So the initial purchase price might be higher, but it's going to last longer as long as I yeah. try to treat it well. So yeah, like I'm wearing a sweater right now that I've had for probably eight years. Yeah. But it still works. So exactly. And I I do try to support smaller businesses too. Like even though their price point is higher, if the quality is there, like you said, I love the fact that I could, a lot of them are like friends of mine these days where it's like, okay, like Maybabe's Equestrian, for example, it makes really high quality breeches. And I know like I could buy a pair and it's going to last me years and years and years, but I've also supported someone closer to me. Like there's just more meaning in that purchase at the end right. of the day. Yeah. You're helping a person like you instead of yeah. a, not someone who's like fast fashion. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So Sorry, over here, friends. it's, yeah, it's a little, a little bit of a different scenario because we are doing all self-care on the family farm. So like mm-hmm. I prioritize buying the best hay I can because I know mm. that good hay is going to mean I have to do less grain and less like supplements and you know, all that, like the, the mm-hmm. farm is, it's a humble setting for horses because it is a cattle farm, you know? So I like sort of, it, it's not going to ever look very pretty. Like, you know, the, you saw the barn, it's not, it, the barn is fine, <laughs> but it's not a fancy equestrian center. Like, you know, so I, like you have to put that part aside and just be like, is it safe? Are the horses healthy? Are the horses happy? Are they, you know, in good condition? So I prioritize excellent hay um, mm-hmm. And as much of it as they want, you know, so I'm putting out 30, 35 pounds per horse a day on my back because <laughs> I put it in a hay net <laughs> and truck it out there. Uh, and then, you know, regular farrier, regular dental, routine mm-hmm. vet, you know, and then I try to, it is a little bit of a challenge. And you and I have had this conversation off air before that, you know, we're, vet care is getting increasingly hard to find close to home. Yes. Um, you know, maybe like in your area, maybe it's a little bit better because it's like a metro area, but like, you know, this is a very poor county, so nobody has sport horses. It so is and like, it isn't. It's yeah. like so it's, you know, if, if I have tires, like, you're screwed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at here. So I have farm vets who do, you know, general large animal and they're good for like stitching a horse together and giving mm-hmm. our shots <laughs> and helping in emergencies. But you know, any sport horse stuff, I've really got to plan ahead because that's a two, two and a half hour drive one way to get to those vets. So I try to, you know, fill the trailer if we're going to go and plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but you stay on that maintenance stuff and then, you know, you're you're better set if there's emergencies and hopefully you can prevent, you know, a certain amount of emergencies from happening. So, exactly. um, so yeah, we prioritize spending our money on stuff that is directly improving the horse's quality of life and health. Yeah. Um, I never take shortcuts that. with health either. Yeah. And 
Uh, some vets offer, if you purchase all your room tea maintenance up front, will offer a discount. So it feels expensive at the beginning, um, but like our vet does that and it includes the dental, it includes fecal, it includes um, if there's an emergency vet call, you don't have to pay for the fee, which is really nice. Um, so there's a lot of extra perks and then they end up taking about 15% off the total cost you'd spend for the year. So like if you can swing it, it it can be worth it down the road. You know, knock on wood, you don't have to have that emergency vet call. But if it's a Saturday and your horse decides like they'd like to see the vet that day, um, saving yourself an extra 100, 200 bucks can go a long way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then that said, like, if I do need to stock up on new, like things, um, mm-hmm. you know, try to get them when they're on sale, you know, now we're getting back into equestrian blogger territory, right? Like shop yes. for bargains, look for sales, like maximize your trip to the store, maximize your order. You know, if yeah. you need another $10 for free shipping, like you can always stock up on vet wrap. Like that's a great time to <laughs> throw vet wrap and gauze on your order, you know? And, and yeah, there's definitely like free shipping. tips and like tricks on like yeah. giving the most bang for your buck. And even if you are someone who wants to be like the fashion equestrian, because we know like crazy horse girl that used to be is now like posh equestrian, like Kendall Jenner's an equestrian. Like we get it. Okay. We get it. It's a new fashion statement, but there are amazing places like tried equestrian, um, or the tag hat who offer like secondhand. Um, and sometimes it's new with tags or it's just overstock, kind of like a TJ Maxx for horse people. So if you are someone like that's an important thing to you, but you're looking to stay on a budget and we are not sponsored by any of these groups, I would love to be. But, you know, just things that I've done in the past, like if I needed show stuff or I had kids in my lesson program who are looking for things and they outgrow it super fast, we actually set up... Um, like kind of a swap at our barn, if you will, like the kids will bring their stuff from last year and like give it to the younger kids and slowly just swap out stuff. So parents are more supported because they want to spend their money on the lessons and getting their kids to shows and they outgrow it in a year. So there's just little things you can do to kind of cut down on some of those more frivolous things. Um, So you can have that budget for your horse's health and getting them the best care. And I highly recommend talking to your vet about what supplements your horse actually needs. Yeah, what's actually going to work. Let's talk about the money over supplementing your horse. Yeah, I will say like, I think the uh, the supplements from Kentucky Performance Products are worth the money uh, beyond they that. Are. Yeah, ask your vet. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I will say I kind of apply that like blinkers on like, you know, the running gag on this podcast is like, oh, you know, these horses from new vocations, there's always one I know Leandra's always looking for a gun runner for me, but I am like, I actually hate to say this almost out loud, but like, I have my blinkers on, I am not getting more horses. I know earlier, mm-hmm. like, oh, you're gonna get a fourth one. And like, actually, we're trying really hard not to like, you know, yeah. because it is self care, it's very easy to do that. And like, I've already budgeted my hay. I bought my hay for the winter. I have hay for four horses. So yeah, I could add There's a realism to it. Like, and we are the most enabling group of people you will ever meet. Um, But, you know, there's also realisms to it as well. Like we know we're going to get a second horse at some point and we're putting that budget plan into place. It's probably going to be in like three to five years, realistically, unless we take on a project horse. But for the, the family horse, we know we wanted to wait till after we had our first kid. So that's a priority. Zach needs to commit to his riding lessons is sort of the agreement there. Um, and we'd like to eventually be able to like 
keep horses at home to bring that cost down. Like that's a big goal for us too. Yeah. So that's a big thing to save for. And that's, Mm -hmm. we're in the similar boat. You know, we are working on like aggressively saving now for a farm, but we're also still trying to enjoy the horses we have now, you know, and maintain some horse showing and do, do the fun stuff. So it is a little bit of a juggling act to say, okay, we need to budget for, you know, X thousands for two of us to show this year. Um, because yeah, the show bills are expensive when there's two of you going and you need two stalls. And I mean, there was a time I couldn't even afford to keep a horse. So instead I would just like go to different barns who had like greener horses or horses who needed show miles. And like in exchange for lessons, I would put extra miles on those horses for them. And I would show those horses for them and kind of got my ride time in and got the show experience on a very affordable way when you're a college student could afford it. But that goes for anyone who's like not in the place to own their own horse, or maybe they could afford it, but board is really expensive. Whatever the reasons, there are so many ways to still get involved, like whether it's a lease or your catch riding, or you you have deals with neighbors, like a lot of new moms who have horses don't have the time to ride and are just wanting to keep their horses in shape. There's a lot out there to get your horsey time on a budget. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, the aggressive farm saving again, that's written into the budget somewhat. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we are gonna come in under budget um and have a surplus in like monthly expenses. Goes to the farm fund. Yep, all that extra money is gonna go to the farm fund. So not only are we budgeting to save for it, but then we're trying to roll over extra savings into it. And you know, like realistically, like Eric's gonna need a new car probably before then. So like we're gonna have to yeah. Start that, with that from somewhere and then hope that, you know, there's still enough trade in value. It's a Subaru. Those things should go for a while. So we'll see. Um, you know, but like, so, you know, you've got those bigger expenses lurking. So I think, you know, as far as equestrians go, like the biggest things to try to do to set yourself up for success now is if you can build a little equestrian savings account and start mm-hmm. to put a little extra money in there for an emergency or a rainy day or a big purchase. Like if you can start to have that money aside, you'll have so much more peace of mind. Um, yes. You know, just going through your daily equestrian life where these big luxury pets like to maim themselves like on a daily yes. basis. And so. I'm going to say this lightly because I feel like we're in the era of like hustling is not the vibe, but if there are ways for you to do some, like small set hustles, whether it's you pick up a day of cleaning stalls at your barn or you are able to do lead line lessons or whatever it might be. Like that's what I do is I teach lessons twice a week and that is my lesson fund um, for myself. So while I'm not making money on it, it allows me to have that extra funding to do something that really benefits me and my horse long-term. And I also build really great connections. I learn from my students through it. Yes, I have to pay for insurance. It's an expense that came out of it, but It's been wildly worth it on my end, but we have people who just volunteer at the barn. We have kids who clean tack to pay for their lessons. Like the best part about the horse world, there's a lot of bargaining and haggling that can come into it. So I always do recommend like seeing what those options are. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of fun always to like value it that way. Like the podcast pays my farrier bill. So Mm -hmm. like, that's fun. You know, (laughs) like, like when you can direct trade something and be like, okay, like, you know, not actual trade, but like, if I do X for X dollars, that will pay for Y, you know, so Mm -hmm. that that's always kind of helpful to value your time that way. So Joy, to wrap up, do you have any like, either one single tip or a tool or an app or or, like a service that you recommend for people to? So I will 
I'll give two tips. Um, I don't like to recommend apps too much because I think we all budget differently and we all think through things differently. So my main tip is one, learn learn to be comfortable talking about money with yourself and with anyone else who you are innately close to, whether it's a significant other, your parent, whoever it is. There is a book that I recommend. I love this. Yes. Yes. Comfortable Uh, talking about money. (laughs) You have to be. If you're uncomfortable talking about money, you're going to be uncomfortable saving money. So it's a book called You Are a Badass at Making Money. It's by Jen Sincero. I recommend it. It's super quick read, but it does help you start to understand like a different way to look at money as opposed to, I think, our traditional values of it's a way to get rich. It's a way to get what I want. Um, It definitely will help establish a healthier relationship with the concept of money, saving money, spending money, all that stuff. So I highly recommend that book. And no, I'm not sponsored by them in any way, but I do. I have found that to be a very good resource for myself. Um, And the other is to start small. I know Chris and I gave some like really big ideas, but we've been working on these budgets for years and it's a lot of trial and error of what works. So if you're super overwhelmed, definitely spend some time to educate yourself on like what's out there or invest in like talking to a professional. I know some employers like our, my employer does offer some financial services as part of like our benefits package. So it's worth to just explore what's open to you. A lot of banks will offer a consultation. So depending on who you bank with, that's a good place to start too. Like you may be entitled to free consultation just to figure out where you should get started. But like Kristen recommended too, maybe it's just starting with that little horse fund and you just practice getting into it. So if you try to go super in depth right away, you're going to quit. It's really overwhelming to do it that way. Yeah, it's very hard to like cold turkey be like, this is it. This is the budget, you know, and you just jump yeah, in. Yeah, that was like the hardest lesson. It. I failed a <laughs> lot of budgets trying to like go big, go home. And it's like, no, I need to just start really, really small. And it was like, I'm just going to save up for my lessons each month. And then like I slowly increased as I got more comfortable budgeting and saying like, what's important, what's not important. Yeah. So what about you? Um, This is like maybe... A controversial tip, but I think like you need to take care of yourself first. Mm-hmm. We're you know, really this, bad like, at that as horse people. <laughs> we are, we are. Like you know, I mean, we were joking last time, right? Like, oh, Jabber got a massage, and I can't turn ninety degrees to the left. But like, mm-hmm. you know, so yes, stuff like that. But also, like, you need to make sure that your living expenses are being met. I really recommend that people have, you know, if they can, a little bit of an emergency fund for themselves. Like mm-hmm. for a while I was self-employed and contracted, so I had to pay my own retirement. And I always made sure to fill that first before I went out to do new horse things. And that definitely that can involve some sacrifice and that part sucks. Like, you know, I would love to go to all the bigger expensive shows all the time, but like realistically, I can't do that. Like I know that if I want to meet my other goals, I need to scale back somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the horse showing is the most superfluous part of the whole experience. Like I'm not going to cut my horse's hay budget so I can go show more. I'm going to show less, continue to get them good quality hay, and then also pay my retirement, pay my you know savings accounts, all that. So you know, and that sucks. Like right, like it's it's a point of pride for equestrians to be like, I ate ramen noodles for six months, but my horses <laughs> are eating the best alfalfa, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, we all laugh about that. And like, yes, there's definitely, you know, some amount of sacrifice that's involved with horses. But I Mm -hmm. also think like, you only get 
like one life to live with your own health too. <laughs> so yeah. like take care and of like yourself. Your, you know? You're not a lot of use to your horse if you're out of commission. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're like, well, my, you know, beater car that I didn't want to replace, like now doesn't work and I can't get to the barn. That doesn't do you any good either. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. you don't need to go out and buy a luxury car, but like you need to take care of yourself and your own needs, you know, and, and plan at least somewhat for the future, you know, for yourself financially yeah. before you go crazy with the horses. And, you know, and that's what sucks right now. Like, that's why we're not running out and buying a fourth horse right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to stick with three and there's going to have to be some management changes. And like, it might make showing next season really complicated to leave one horse at home. And we don't know how that's going to go yet. But like, our long term goal is to buy a farm. And that's what we're saving for. So we've got to put our blinkers on and stay there. So, you know, and that's, you know, that kind of piggybacks on yours, right? Like, you've got to be comfortable talking about this to yourself and talking about this with, you know, other people involved in your financial decisions. So um, absolutely, not always very fun, but then it's also really satisfying when you can watch your money grow. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you're set up for success. So absolutely. Absolutely. So happy budgeting kids. <laughs> happy budgeting. We wish you all the luck in 2024. I think there's a lot of opportunities to get savvy, get smart. And for those who are already there, like share the knowledge, share your wealth, your actual wealth, but the knowledge of that you have, that's just worth something. Um, but go yeah, ahead we, uh... and like give those tips. Like it's so helpful because you never know who's struggling and it's just not ready to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Make sure your fairy has that Roth IRA, you know? <laughs> yeah. Ask your fairy if they're okay. Just kidding. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this was fun, Kristen. I feel like we could talk for like, there's so many ideas that come to mind. Who knows? Maybe a future extra podcast will be in line. We'd love to hear from listeners and what they think. This will not be a normal segment, like we said. Um, but with the changing in the seasons, we thought it would be worth sharing kind of our experiences. Yep. Yes. Especially if you are in the place of horse shopping, got to get those budgets in mind. <laughs> yeah. Have a budget before you get the horse. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is the cheapest part is the, the purchase price. <laughs> Thanks for this, Kristen. Great idea. And can't wait to see how everyone takes it and applies it. Yeah. Happy budgeting. Train with top hunter, jumper, and eventing professionals anytime, anywhere with Practical Horsemen On Demand. Your membership gives you access to hundreds of how-to training videos taught by top-level hunter, jumper, equitation, and eventing pros, exclusive interviews and lectures, slow-motion demonstrations, insider access to private clinics and lessons, and step-by-step tutorials. New content is always being rolled out, so there are always new videos available on the topics important to you. Join now for just $24.99 a month and take your training to the next level with Practical Horsemen On Demand. So the fun part about being in December is we are quickly encroaching on the next year of Thoroughbred Makeover, and I believe it's application season. Kristen, what is new at the RRP? Woohoo! Yeah, we have our 2024 rulebook out in the world. So you can read uh, any changes and updates that we made from last year. Uh, review eligibility. If you think you have a horse that you would like to enter with, uh, you can double check eligibility rules there. And applications will be open for drafting coming up on December 18th. So this show is out December 10th, depending on when you're listening. That may or may not be available yet. But you can take a look at the application and draft it. 
from the 18th through January 2nd. Um, and it's a drafting period because the application is a little bit of a lengthy process. It's basically you're writing your horseman's resume. So you can go in, you can draft it, you can save it, and you can come back later so you don't have to do it all in one go. So if you are thinking of doing the 2024 Thoroughbred Makeover, definitely head over to therrp.org and review those rules and then drop us a line and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Even under the best circumstances, travel is stressful for horses. We've all been there, stuck on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. You can make the journey knowing that U.S. Rider is there for you. Get peace of mind on the road with U.S. Rider's nationwide 24-7 roadside assistance coverage for both you and your horse. Join today at usrider.org. Well, it is that time of the episode or we touch base with new vocations. And today we have Winnie Morgan Nemeth, who is back and she's from the standard bread side of things. Welcome back to the show, Winnie. Hi guys. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to have you. And I am super excited about our adoptable horse we're going to feature. He's super cute. But before we dive into that, I wanted to ask a little bit different training question. We're heading into winter and some of us know our horses could be quite rambunctious, or if we're lucky, we're shopping on New Vocations website right now with the Christmas season. And I'd love to get some insights on when you have rehab horses coming in that are up for adoption, what are some ways that you like to rehab standard breads? And is it the same or different than thoroughbreds? Yes, that's a really great question. Um, Because we do, you know, have horses that are coming right off the track that have some injuries. And a lot of times it's going to be dependent on what that injury is, if it was soft tissue or not. And, but one thing that I think everybody would agree that have handled standard breads or, and even off the racetrack is that just letting them go, if they're able to go out in a small paddock, um, not with other horses, obviously, if they're rehabbing, say like from a suspensory injury is just so beneficial for them. Uh, even if it's just a small round pen, it's a dry lot that they can walk around where they're not in a stall, but they're moving. And the biggest thing is just to keep them moving if they're, say, off stall rest or something like that. So that's what we'll gradually do because we do see a lot of suspensory issues. And then bone-wise, we see a lot of sesamoid breaks. Uh, Sometimes it depends on if it's the front or the back. It's always best if it's the back. Back hind legs, not the front, but the front is very manageable as well. We get a lot of those. Some require surgery, some do not. But the protocol is always... When they are ready to get off stall rest, which could be like a suspensory, depends on the amount of tear, but it can be a month or two months or four months. When they come off is this, get them into walking, getting that blood flowing down to their feet, let them walk. I don't know what it is. The standard reds maybe being a heavier type built, bigger boned horse, but they tend to heal quicker than the thoroughbreds do or the quarter horses do that I've worked with. Horses that, you know, if you were a thoroughbred or quarter horse might need stall rest for five or six months for the same injury and a standard bred, possibly a month or two months. We were chatting a little, maybe it's because they're more sensible. They're definitely more sensible. (laughs) They take care of themselves and they know when they could be running and when they shouldn't be running. They don't typically get worked up, but it's always great. Again, if they are in a run out situation or in a paddock to get them out as much as they possibly can be just does wonders for them moving around, not moving on a, on the track and not just being in a stall. So that's the first thing we do when we get the okay that they can get, get light turnout. We need to figure out how to isolate whatever gene 
that standard yeah, bread have some meal faster and put that in every other breed. <laughs> I agree. Awesome. Yeah. Do That's you fascinating. Find, like on Stalross, do you find that they get quite anxious? I know thoroughbreds have a reputation, but honestly, a lot of horses get quite antsy on Stalross. Mm. How are the thorough or how are the standard breads? They, I mean, obviously they can get antsy too. We currently have a two-year-old uh, gelding that's been on stall rest with us um, for a broken sesamoid and he's a baby and he really, what he was trained and, and he did break it in a qualifier. So he didn't have that many starts. He would be more like a typical baby, but the older aged geldings tend to be very relaxed in their mm-hmm. stall and seem to do just fine and don't seem to get worked up or antsy or some of the things that we see with other horses, they handle it more. Maybe it's because they've raced so long. They've traveled all over the country. They're kind of happy for a break. That's kind of what I always thought because <laughs> they were so great to deal with. But a lot of that time depends on the age of the horse a lot. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, already breaking stereotypes because I know a lot of warm bloods in our barn who just a couple days on stall rest and you're like, I'm going to have to drug them just to take them for a hand walk. <laughs> um, so right, that's, right. that's interesting right. to see like their personality and temperament really does shine in any situation. Yes. Yeah. They, they're just a great, great breed all the way around <laughs> to work yeah. with. That's true for quarter horses too. Some of the worst, like most heinous stall resting animals I've ever had to work with are quarter horses. And you're like, <laughs> like, stop, <laughs> stop trying to, you know, maim yourself. So it's interesting because I know, you know, there's a lot of thoroughbred in the quarter horse. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a, I, yeah, that's a practical deep dive that no one's doing into genetics, like <laughs> who heals and then who does not handle stall rest well. These are the studies it, we yes. really want. This <laughs> yes. is it. If anyone's listening, this yes. is what we need. Yes. <laughs> and, it, you know, I do think a lot goes to that standard breds race every week and say an aged horse that's coming in on stall rest, we'll say he's 10 years old, you know, has jogged hundreds of thousands of miles until that point. And I really do think no other breed is working that hard, to be honest. Your quarter horses aren't, your thoroughbreds certainly aren't. So I do think they enjoy the break because they are in very regimented training programs, you know, six days a week, facing every week. That's a lot. <laughs> so a lot yeah. of times they just think they're, they come to us and they're like, oh, it's a letdown. So, and then by the time they're ready, they feel better then they get to go out. <laughs> so it works. Nice. Well, and even if you're not, let's, you know, knock on wood, no one's having to rehab horses this winter if they don't have to, but still hand walking, relaxing with them, spending time with them over winter is just a really good way to bond with horses too. Absolutely. Still a good training tip all the way around, whether you're rehabbing or not. Well, let's get into our adoptable horse of the week. Tell us a little bit about who we are featuring. So we are getting ready to post in the next week or so in Byron's Hanover. He is a 2017 gelding uh, by some beach somewhere, which is the premier pacing sire has been number one for many years. We have placed quite a few nice some beaches that have gone on to be event horses, jumping horses, like very nice show horses. This guy only raced 55 times. He was a very expensive yearling when he sold at the Harrisburg sale uh, in Pennsylvania. However, he just didn't really hold up. He's a pacer. So he didn't hold up to racing like they had hoped. He does have a screw in his left hind cannon bone that was put in about three years ago. 
That does not seem to be the problem, though. He That same leg, his left hind ankle, is why he retired from racing. Um, he came to us, and he came right on. Um, he was not on stall rest, but he was on light turnout. So he's been doing that for the past three to four months, and he now is lunging uh, in a circle, completely sound. He's you know, he's always walked sound, but his trot was a little iffy, but he seems to be feeling a hundred percent better uh, to where now we can actually put him in training. He's the sweetest horse. He's so kind. Um, he's been great with the kids uh, at our Hamilton farm. They're, they have a strong lesson program and the teenage girls do groom and work with the horses. And he's just been a gem to work with and so kind. He's also a great turnout buddy with his friends. Um, so we're very excited to see you know, what exactly he's going to do. I think down the road, he could do a lot of things. But at this point, you know, being that he did come in sore, we're just being cautious of um, his rehab and making sure he's completely comfortable. And he seems to be right now. So again, it's always a great sign when a standard red pacer can lunge on the lunge line and look nice. <laughs> we like to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. He looks very sensible. He just has a he very does. sweet face. Like that, he does a nice standard bread. Like I have called it before. I was like, I don't know what we call this, but they just look very wise, like yes. compared to thoroughbreds yes. who have that like horizon look. Like the standard breads are just like, hello, you know, like, I'm ready to do whatever. <laughs> and he has that yeah. same look. I love him. Yes, he does. He's very stoic, very kind. I mean, he's not really old and uh, he certainly has plenty of experience, but I do think he seems to be a, a nice, sensible, quiet horse that maybe anybody could ride. So what a lot of people are looking for actually. Um, awesome. Like some people might be a little bit nervous that he's not in active training ready to go, but I'd like to remind listeners, if you're newer, we did do an entire panel on horses who might be rehabbing or not coming off perfectly sound from the track, but nothing to be afraid of either. So there's no fear of a limited horse, but excited to see what his journey could hold for him. Yes, he's just going to continue to progress. I, and that's what's exciting to see. I mean, we've had our veterinarian do x-rays and we have all that information. He's been, you know, under our care um, for, you know, a few months so that we are monitoring everything. And that's very helpful. We got everything from the the trainer. So that makes the rehab process go very well when we have all those details that we need. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's always what's so helpful when adopting from new vocations, you know, is like all that transparency. And, you know, obviously anyone adopting from you knows you guys have done everything right with the rehab. So if a horse is up for adoption, it is truly ready to go. So love that's that. right. That's right. And we're happy. Again, if it doesn't work out, we always will take our horses back um, anytime, regardless. So it's just win-win for everybody, really. Absolutely. Right, folks. Well, you know where to go, horseadoption.com. Get your application in. Be ready to go when the perfect horse comes across your screen. And Winnie, remind us about the holiday special. So right now, our holiday special going on, and we'll go on through December 31st, is all of our horses in the program, both standardbreds and thoroughbreds, are half off for Christmas. That is the ultimate Black Friday deal. Yes. So we are recording a little bit ahead. By the time you're listening to this, but as you are, you'll have a couple couple weeks left, I believe, to to dive in and see what horse is right for you. But you'll have to get your applications in because guaranteed, you are not the only one looking at the special, and they go quick. 
Yes, they do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so horseadoption.com, check them out. Check out all the standard breads. If you have questions for Whitney, you can reach out to her as well. Um, if you're looking at a thoroughbred, Leandro's your girl. So we have the whole crew here. We love it. We love new vocations joining <laughs> us. <laughs> Thanks happy again, to Whitney. <laughs> yep. Thank you. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at horseradionetwork.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. You can follow the network on Twitter at Horse Radio. You can find me on Instagram at The Horseback Writer and on Twitter at Kristen Kovach. My email is kbentley at therrp.org. You can find me on Instagram at misfitmare and my email is joy at horseradionetwork.com. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Company, and to our partners, New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program and the Retired Racehorse Project. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network, part of Equine Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride and add more leg. Bye, guys. Bye.